0: To another episode of the Steve Schramm Show We certainly appreciate you joining us this week We're going to talk about something this week that we dealt with At least in a roundabout way a few weeks ago In our interview with Mike Behe As a matter of fact, what I really want to bring out to you today What I think is the odd thing about theistic evolution Is uh, something that occurred to me as a point Or as an implication of something that Mike brought up in his book, Darwin Devolves. I've heard others make a a very similar point to this, so I want to trade on some thoughts that they have offered as well and kind of bring this to a head. Of course, I think there are are problems with theistic evolution, but we'll save those for another time. What I really want to deal with today is what I think is just something very, very odd about All right, well, we made it to episode number 88. The odd thing about theistic evolution. the odd thing about theistic evolution. I want to talk about this for a few for, for a few moments. As I mentioned briefly in the beginning, you know, there are quite a few things that I, I don't understand about theistic evolution and its uh, uh, appeal. Now I, I do understand, A lot about it. Okay, I do understand the appeal of some to it. Why they would uh, go go to it. For motivations that may or may not be sound. They may or may not be biblical. And again, I'm not painting with a broad brush. Because uh, all I have are the anecdotes of times that I have read their materials and conversed with them. And I have anecdotes that are troubling to me. I also have some anecdotes that are, that make me think, that make me think, well, maybe I need to be more charitable to these, to, to these folks in different situations. And so I really do try to approach theistic evolutionists with a fair amount of objectivity. Okay, because I I do have anecdotes from a broad range of people i could point to people right now who i have conversed with who fiercely love god and yet are theistic evolutionists and they're not dumb they're they're very smart people they don't seem to have a problem with the bible being their ultimate foundation and authority for life they just see things differently than we do so i do think we need to be charitable to them but here's the odd thing it seems to me that folks are really, really jumping on the bandwagon of theistic evolution at a strange time. There's an article out in The Federalist that brings this point to a head. It's a very good article. I enjoyed it. And it is based on this observation that Mike be he made in his book recently. And here was the observation that over one-third of professional biologists now think Darwin's mechanism doesn't work. And if you've read his latest book, Darwin Devolves, the evidence is is damning. I mean, it really is. the The evidence is just mounting against the Darwinian mechanism working now of course i'm a young age creationist so i want to take it further and i want to say that the entire paradigm of universal common ancestry has issues so when i argue against theistic evolution uh, my primary beef with the enterprise is, of course, the issue of age. So in that sense, I have the same beef with it that I do with old earth creationism of the reasons to believe variety. And of course, not because of some arbitrary thing. Uh, It's not even because I think the Bible textually teaches that we can calculate the age of the earth. Now, I do think I do think we can calculate roughly the age of the earth from the Bible. Don't get me wrong on that. I I do think. But my primary motivation for taking issue with other views is theological. I mean, let's just admit it. It has to do with the issue of suffering and death before sin. And again, I know there have been nuanced renderings of that offered by old age proponents. I'm not convinced by any of them. Most of the time, when they try to characterize the young age view, they miss it. They dismiss it as something as arbitrary as saying, oh, well, uh, maybe animal death is not affected in, you know, when, when Romans 5 talks about sin entered in the world through one man they think that we just immediately are bringing in animal death into that uh, portion of scripture and leaving it at that now that is not why oh my goodness that is that is just not why oh uh, that, that 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 young age creationists have theological issue with the long age paradigm and I don't have time to go into that part of it this morning. Maybe we'll save that for another time. But but that's not the issue. Most young age creationists would readily affirm that Romans 5 is not dealing with animal death before the fall, that that is pretty much exclusively dealing with human death. But it does tell us who entered sin into the world. Now, we can go to other passages and see what the effects of that sin were. But it does tell us, that when sin entered the world, death entered into the world. It tells us that death passed upon all men, but it also says that death (laughs) entered into the world. So from that, we can take that and use some other passages to show that it affects more than just human life. And of course, there's details in Genesis that we use uh, as well. But again, I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. That is an issue that I take, and maybe we'll get clear on that and, and talk about that another time. I just want to make the simple observation that uh, if it is true that about one third of professional biologists now question Darwin, then we should, in my view, we should be seeing a rapid departure from this paradigm, not a rapid attachment to it in this day. And that doesn't mean that all the theistic evolutionists are going to, you know, I think should become young earth creationists. Of course, okay, so I think they probably should, Uh, but I realize that's probably not going to happen. So if they were to abandon theistic evolution, you know, they're probably landing in something like the intelligent design camp. They may even decide to affirm universal common ancestry, excuse me, much like Mike Behe does. But again, I think it's so important to underscore that what Darwin suggested is a mechanism that has been evidentially shown to not be able to produce the biodiversity that we find. And the political correctness, the pressure that comes along with being someone who must accept Darwinian evolution in order to be considered a a intelligent individual in this day it's completely attached to Darwin's rendering of evolution now we've got those like James Shapiro and other folks who are trying to rescue the the, the paradigm of evolution and use different mechanisms to allow for its propagation but again as we discussed and as as be book, so, Ably shows these things rest on the laurels of the mechanistic process getting started via Darwin to begin with. And so, if it can be shown that Darwin's mechanism can't do anything at all to build new structures, well, then the entire paradigm has got problems and... And there has to be, no matter what you affirm about the time it took or whatever, there has to be an intelligent cause. And Stephen Meyer, also affiliated with Mike Behe at the Discovery Institute, his new book that will be coming out is called The God Hypothesis. I believe it's available for the return, excuse me, The Return of the God Hypothesis. I believe it's available for for pre-order now. And this book aims to take data from across different fields and show how indeed it is the Christian God who is the best explanation for all of the facts at hand. So that's the point I want to make. One-third of professional biologists who are not necessarily Christian, not necessarily intelligent design um, advocates or whatever we're talking about, Folks who would be happy to claim that they were atheists or, or or whatever, probably, are questioning this mechanism. And the evidence is so damning against it that it's hard to believe that the church is attaching itself so strongly. And again, I, I can't say it enough that this is the same exact error that was repeated, or is being repeated, that happened when the church decided that it was going to hitch its its wagon to the Copernican model of the solar system and of the universe we must be careful when using the bible to try to inform or whatever scientific kinds of information there is great error in taking some modern model of science that you have developed and 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 trying to line that model of science up with the bible that was the real, the real error in the whole galileo copernican debacle the real the real error was those christians who tried to take this model of the solar system and make that be what the bible was saying that was the error in that case and i'm arguing that the same exact thing happens with the Big Bang Theory, when people take Genesis 1-1 and try to say that is the Big Bang, well, we're just silly. If you read any history about this at all, we're just silly to think that somehow the Big Bang is not going to be abandoned in the future. It's not as well evidenced as people would like for it to be. I'm, just, I'm sorry, it's just not. And the reality is, when this goes out of style in the future, what are all of those Christians going to do who attach themselves to the Big Bang? I understand, again... The appeal and being able to use it as an apologetic I get that but heavens me I mean when when we attach our understanding of the Bible to specific models in science science being such a topsy-turvy twisty turny kind of enterprise the kind of thing that is changing so much it seems to me like we're in, in grave danger when we try to attach specific models to it now Something a little bit different is going on with the evolution case because I don't think anybody is trying to specifically line up events in the evolutionary synthesis with exactly what is happening in Genesis. I think most proponents of theistic evolution are saying, look, Genesis doesn't speak to this even at all. So maybe there is a little bit of a difference there, but at the same time... Many Christians are vigorous defenders of the evolutionary enterprise, of Darwin's same evolutionary enterprise, and even, and again, this is something that has been admitted to me, I'm not claiming this, I'm not just asserting this, it has been admitted to me personally by a multiple theistic evolutionist that they have decided to take an alternate view of Genesis than the one that is immediately obvious to them. Because they are persuaded by the evidence for Darwinian evolution. I've even had them admit to me, again, personally, that Jesus Christ and Paul, these writers, were confused when it came to matters of creation. And Paul was confused as a writer. Jesus as the Son of God? Confused about the things that happened to creation? I mean not only has this been claimed by them and asserted by them, but they've argued it. They've provided what they think is biblical evidence that Jesus was ignorant of things that happened in the beginning. And these things were uh, accommodated in the revelation to us in the Bible in such a way that we could understand. But again, not um, the aim not being to communicate anything truthful about what, the time of those events or when those events took place. So, you know, I mean, this is this is tough. This is really, really difficult stuff for me to to square my understanding of the Bible with. I don't really know what to do with it. And so I, I really think that w- the best thing to do is to start with the Bible as the authoritative source that it claims to be and go from there and build from there and not attach to any specific scientific models. And here we are, we see a growing skepticism in the biological community and the evolutionary creationist, atheistic evolutionist uh, community is just jumping further and further and further on the ba- bandwagon. And I don't understand it, but it's happening, so we're talking about it. Now, we're going to jump to some questions uh, in just a moment, but I want to also make the point that Behe's latest discovery, actually, his, 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 his latest evidence that he that he writes in the book is actually a confirmation of what young age creationists have been arguing. Behe demonstrates with the evidence in the book that Darwin's mechanism is not effective at all to produce any kind of change beyond the level of family. He even makes the point that sometimes the lines are blurred between genus and family and even order, etc. In the Uh, classification systems, and so sometimes there are exceptions to that, but the general rule is that evolution is not effective in the Darwinian sense on anything past the line of family in the traditional Linnaean classification system. For years and years and years, creationists have argued this, that the level of family, again with some ambiguities in certain organisms, reflects what the Bible refers to as a kind. As a kind. So, I made that point to say this, that not only is the evidence sociologically showing that biologists are abandoning Darwin's theory, but the evidence biologically, even from intelligent design proponents who affirm um, universal common ancestry, this biological evidence is confirming what young age creationists have taught for a very long time. So... Here's what I want to say. It's a good time to be a learning, growing young age creationist, to be a gracious young age creationist who is scientifically minded and excited about the future. I think if you're an evolutionary creationist right now or a theistic evolutionist, however you you know designate yourself, I don't think it's a great time for you. Frankly, uh, I think that you're attached to a sinking ship. I love you, you're my brother you're my sister. I would have coffee with you anytime. Starbucks is right down the road. Let's go. Let's grab a cup. Uh, But I think you're wrong and I think you're making a grave error and I'm not afraid to say it. So we'll come back with a few questions here in just a moment. Thanks for joining us on the Steve Schramm Show. I will be right back. Do you struggle to defend what you believe? Is it Possible that you might be able to articulate your answers in a clearer way and give good reasons for why Christianity is true. If you have never taken the time to start to learn about the reasons why Christianity is true and how you can very simply begin sharing it with others, then I want to invite you to check out our free four lesson email course. You're actually going to get six emails, an introduction email, four lesson emails, and then a conclusion email that does tell you a little bit about our ministry. But these four lessons are going to give you the key things, the key answers that you need to be able to defend your faith with confidence. In fact, that's the name of the free email course, Defend Your Faith with Confidence. So I pray that you would go there to steveshram.com slash defend. Check that out. Get signed up and we will start by sending you your first email almost immediately. And then we'll email you for a few days after that and give you the tools that you need to start defending your faith with confidence right away. So don't forget steveshram.com slash defend. That's steveshram.com slash defend. It's absolutely a free resource, a free course that we wrote just for you. And we're super excited to share it with you. steveshram.com slash defend. All right, we are back, ready to go and want to answer some questions that came in from Quora. And again, we mentioned last week that we are starting to take some more questions, I'd like to get questions in from you. If you're on Twitter, hashtag AskS3 and just give us your question and hopefully we can get to you there. If you want to email, you can just email steve at steveshram.com. Easy enough. Or if you want to just go to my website, steveshram.com, you can actually leave a voice message for us by clicking on the button on the right that says ask a question. And you can do it that way and we'll play your voice right here On the podcast as you ask your question. So if you are interested in having your question dealt with, you have things that concern you, know that you are not alone. It's very likely that somebody else has your exact same question and they might be afraid to ask. So it's up to you. You need to ask so that we can get these questions answered for you. Give us as much detail as possible and we can deal as fairly with the question as possible possible. This first one on Quora here is interesting. If Jesus was truly here about 2,000 years ago, why do we not have historical proof, considering we have detailed accounts of events from way older than that? Now, one of the things I like to do when I am teaching others about how to think more clearly about spiritual things, how to defend what they believe, and they're dealing with people as they ask their questions and they have these conversations, you always have to look for uh, loaded questions, for loaded questions. That is, questions that assume things that have not been argued. In logical terms, you might call this a complex question. It's kind of like the fallacy of begging the question, but doing so in a question form. So notice how this question is worded. If Jesus was truly here about 2,000 years ago, why do we not have historical proof? Now let's stop right there. I always get nervous when people talk about the word proof. Proving things is possible Okay. In other words, if you have a logical argument, if you are trying to form a deductive argument via a syllogism, you can prove the conclusion of the argument. So, for instance, uh, Socrates is a man, all men are mortal, therefore Socrates is immortal. Okay, so this kind of thing is true is true. Excuse me, based on the truth of the premises. The premises have to be argued for. If the premises are argued for and turn out to be true, then you can prove inescapably the conclusion of the deductive argument. But what we should be looking for, what this person should have asked for, is historical evidence. They said, "Why do we not have his historical proof?" They should have said, "Why do we not have historical?" evidence because you see we do have <laughs> historical evidence. Now, let me read the last part of the question again. Considering we have detailed accounts of events from way older than than that. Now, I believe that the Bible, that the Gospels, let's just get down to brass tacks. I believe that the Gospels are the inerrant, infallible revelation word of God. Okay. They're authoritative. I believe that they are subject, to, even though he would have been writing about the Old Testament, I believe they are subject to Paul's words. They are to be used for reproof, for correction. Okay, these things can be used to edify us. These scriptures are for our learning. I believe all of these things apply really to the New Testament as well. Um, I, I, I don't think you will find a scenario in the Bible where this is ever... A question about the authority of the scriptures insofar as the new testament documents have the same authority as the old testament documents or as the new testament believers believed the old testament documents had then they are authoritative in the same way but even if you were to set that to the side for the sake of argument okay and you were just to say that okay maybe these are not the words of god if you set that aside for the sake uh, for the sake of argument what are you doing are you dismissing them? As a whole? Because that would be bad work. That would be bad historical uh, practice. Historians recognize the Gospels for what they are. That is historical documents, a historical record of events that truly took place. And not only that, but certain of the writers, such as Luke, have actually been hailed by some secular writers as a master historian. He was very meticulous in his details. We know that his details were correct. There are a few places where we have a question about it, but even where that has 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 been the case in the past, he has been rectified. So, I have utmost confidence in the fact that the gospel writers were serious historians. So this person says, well, why do we not have historical proof? Well, again, they should have asked for historical evidence. And we do have historical evidence. The gospels. We do have detailed accounts of the events of the life of Jesus. The gospels. People somehow dismiss the Gospels on the basis that many Christians take them to be the authoritative Word of God. But why do that? I take it to be the authoritative Word of God, but even if you don't, consider that they are generally reliable historical documents. Now, is that enough to show that Jesus is the Son of God? No, I don't think so. I think that you are going to have to have a more robust view of The scriptures in order to get to the assertion that Jesus is truly the son of God, because now you're arguing from prophetic things in the Old Testament, etc. Okay, you've got you got more work to do there. But this person's question was if Jesus was truly here. This is a historical question. Historical questions like this can be answered by historical documents. And not only do virtually all historical scholars believe that Jesus existed, but they also believe very important things about his life. That is, uh, and just coming off of Easter, this is fresh in my mind, the details surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are affirmed, most of those details are affirmed by the vast majority of historical scholars, secular ones included. Okay, so we are on perfectly good grounds here. Again, the question was asked about Jesus being truly here. Yes, Jesus was truly here. This is virtually uncontested. But we can even go further and show that just based on the historical facts alone, the the details surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are affirmed. Now, of course, especially secular historians are not going to affirm that Jesus rose from the dead. But what they will say is that it is the only reasonable explanation that explains all of the facts that we have concerning those events. There is no other explanation that has been offered that is able to do the work of explaining everything as nicely as the hypothesis that indeed God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, you know, on Quora, you see questions but then you also see answers that other people, other people give, and you know, uh, there was a an answer to this question, the the very first one, that is, it it straddles this line between true and not true, and I want to read it for you and maybe take just a minute to point out some. Examples and then I think we're gonna have to wrap up for today Uh, running out of time here I had two more questions, but we'll deal with those maybe another time So here was this answer that this person provided. I'm just gonna stop as we go through and Correct what I think are the misunderstandings and point out things that I think are, are maybe helpful Here's the answer There are in fact a couple of brief mentions of Jesus in the historical record now what this person means is that there are extra biblical references? There's about 17 of them, even though they are brief, to the person of Jesus Christ and his existence, and what those who followed him claimed to believe. About him now, um, the reality is is that we really don't have, contrary to the person's original question, we really don't have detailed um, a- a- accounts for a lot of people from this time, especially from somebody who would have had zero notoriety, like Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth who lived for 33 years, and for 30 of them, most people had no clue who the man was. His public ministry was only three years old, a- 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 about three years long, and somehow, today, a couple of Millennia later, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people worldwide worship this person. And throughout history, the billions that have been professing Christians and believed uh, via faith and good evidence that this man truly was the Son of God. We're still talking about this f- first century carpenter. Something was going on. Okay. For, for for a man like this to be mentioned at all in the historical record is amazing. And we find 17 extra biblical historical references to them and we have the biblical references which are historical records themselves talking about this man in a very detailed way, the details of his life. So, um, in fact... We do have brief mentions in the extra-biblical record, but the historical record is full of information from this first-century carpenter, who, by the way, claimed to be the Son of God. Uh, that's astounding. Continuing this man's answer, they don't prove anything more than the fact that there was a man named Jesus living in what is now Israel around the time we now refer to as the first century. So, this part of his answer is maybe somewhat true. Uh no, just the historical records don't prove that Jesus was the son of God. In the sense that they if they were just records written down by man giving the information that we have, we would probably need a little bit more to be able to show that what we're dealing with is something supernatural, something amazing, like the God of all creation stepping into history. Now, we have to use other information, like the background information given to us by the Old Testament, for example, to be able to show from a textual standpoint that Jesus is the Son of God. But there is historical proof that he existed, and that's enough to get us started, as I've already mentioned. So continuing on, he says, So there is historical proof that Jesus existed, but the proof is only that he did exist. There is no proof that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Well, again, I wouldn't say no... I mean, I suppose you could say no proof, but that doesn't mean there is no evidence. I mean, what, what do you, What does this person mean by the word proof? That is what I'd have to ask. Because if he means evidence, and this is just not true. There is evidence that Jesus was the Son of God, and it is textual evidence. Okay, Continuing, there is no proof that he performed miracles, cured the sick, gave sight to the blind, and hearing to the deaf, or raised people from the dead. Okay, well there might not be proof, but there is historical evidence of that. And actually this is even this kind of thing, that his exorcisms and his miracles, things like that, are even attested to outside of scripture. At least the fact that others followed him in virtue of believing these things, okay? Others outside of scripture in the historical record among the 17 sources mention things like this about his life. Continuing, and most important, there's no proof that he rose from the dead after he is crucified. Well, again, you could say there's no proof, but there certainly is evidence and it's affirmed by the vast majority of scholars of antiquity. Christian or not. Continuing, Christ's resurrection is the essence of Christianity, and there isn't a single piece of historical evidence to confirm or prove this. Well, again... He finally used the right word, evidence, but but what does he mean to confirm or prove this? Yes, it is a supernatural claim that one must put their faith in. You must have faith to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, but the evidence is pretty strong, even from just a human perspective of the kind of thing that happened. That is why scholars of antiquity either say, yes, there was a resurrection and become a Christian, or they don't draw a conclusion, because none of the naturalistic explanations suffice. They don't work. They're almost virtually rejected. He continues, the bad news is that Christians cannot historically prove anything about Jesus. You probably already know what I would say about that. The good news is that Christians don't have to historically prove anything about Jesus. This is interesting. He says, the Gospels, which are not historical proof nor an historical record, tell the story of Jesus. And Christians' faith understands that the story tells of a supernatural event, one that transcends the world of Human historical proof. All right, so that's the end of his response. Again, you see how muddled and confused this is. The Gospels are a, a historical record, and they do give historical evidence they are evidence in the realm of what we would call history but yes he's right this is a supernatural event but a christian understands this by faith but it's not blind faith it's faith based on the evidence that is given of history we also have evidence from philosophy we also have evidence from science we have evidence from everywhere that says that jesus was god uh, or, or that God exists and then we have reasonable evidence from history to show that Jesus was in fact the person who he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, yes, without faith, It is impossible to please him. We must have faith. But what is that faith based upon? What is that faith or trust placed in? And it is placed in the good reason that we have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he was. We've got evidence from all these places I've showed you. We have evidence of our own experience. Again, that is how we experience Jesus in his personal revelation to Now that's how we can know Christianity is true. Showing is a little bit different than that, of course. We realize that. Uh, That's why we talk about apologetics every week. We realize uh, the difference. This is something that transcends the world of human historical proof, but the human historical evidence that we have is in full support of what we Christians claim to believe with our faith. And that is what this answer fails to capture. I couldn't even tell from this answer if the person was a Christian. He sounds he could either be a skeptic or he could be a Christian who simply believes that faith is totally blind. Frankly, I could not tell based on his response which camp he falls into, which is which is odd. Uh and and says more about him I, I think than maybe he intended to uh to, to put on display. So in any case, that's my thoughts on that. We need to, to to speak accurately when it comes to these things, but we need to understand what it means to have historical evidence, what it means to have historical proof, what it means to view the Gospels, yes, as the inspired Word of God, but also as historical documents, and even being able to argue for the sake of argument, for their truthfulness, even as human historical records. All right, thanks for joining us this week on The Steve Schramm Show. Let's say a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and... Thank you for being wonderful to us. Thank you for the evidence that you provided, not only to us in your personal revelation, but also in your scriptural revelation, your general revelation. Lord, we just marvel at who you are and what you've done in our lives. I pray now, Father, that you'd help us to be vigorous defenders of your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, once again, I do want to thank you for joining us on this episode of The Steve Schramm Show, episode number 88, The Odd Thing About Theistic Evolution. We're, we're very thankful that you joined us to talk for a little bit about that and uh, listen to our thoughts on that. Hey, if you have any thoughts, any questions, or you want to reach out, uh, you can also feel free to join us at com slash community. That'll take you right to the free private Facebook group that we have for listeners of the podcast where we can talk and interact with one another and uh, deal with some of the questions that might come up uh, as a result of listening to the podcast. So I hope you'll join us over there. We have a good conversation and have a good time. So thank you so much again for joining us. steveshram.com slash defend if you haven't got that free email course yet. And we'll see you next week. All right, right here on the Steve Shram Show. Some good interviews coming up for you. So be looking out for them. Thanks and have a great week. Bye-bye.